Welcome to the SaaS Backwards Podcast, where we reverse engineer the success of fast-growing SaaS firms and explore strategies CMOs and CEOs are using to drive their businesses forward. Welcome everyone to SaaS Backwards. It's a podcast that helps SaaS CEOs and CMOs to accelerate growth and enhance profitability. We take a look at what's working for growing SaaS companies, leadership decision-making, what did and didn't work, and why. Our guest today is Alex Markov. He's CEO of Refersion. It's a SaaS that helps its users to manage and track ambassador, influencer, and affiliate marketing programs. Hey, Alex, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Happy to have you. Alex, before we dig into the Refersion story, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got to be a founder of a SaaS, and just a little bit about the company itself. I started Refersion approximately coming on seven years ago. Prior to that, I worked in primarily digital marketing, paid search, uh, SEO types of firms. And maybe another interesting tidbit about me is I've been a developer since I was a kid before it became as popular as today. I was always been interested in technology, and which is part of the reason why I started a SaaS company to work in the space that I knew of marketing, but also can utilize my skills as a developer. That is interesting because the past few CEOs and CMOs that I've uh, interviewed have come at it from the business side, not the technology side. So maybe give me some insight into how you chose this space from the vantage point of being a digital marketer and technologist. How did you decide upon affiliate influencer marketing? That's a good question. I actually worked in the space. These days, we use the word influencer marketing a lot. Back when I sort of started my career, we didn't have that term. People often called it affiliate marketing. And I learned a lot from the inside of how those kinds of firms operate, what the important KPIs are. And I sort of just grew my career through it. And towards the end, there was sort of a rise of the influencer. So I saw changes happening and I saw that the market needed something that didn't exist. But also the technology did exist. It just needed to be sort of, uh, I think, reimagined in some ways. So part of the reason why I built Refersion is I took the things that were being done well in the industry, I kept those, but the things that were not, I I decided to see if I could innovate on those things. Interesting. So the affiliate marketing space was well-defined, but the influencer component of transacting online was not being addressed by the existing solutions. Is that correct? Well, I think there there were several challenges that I saw. What One of those is maybe a simple example is when merchants wanted to sort of create an affiliate or influencer program for their store, the sort of ramp up onboarding took months. And that's because around that time, the e-commerce platforms were really sort of enterprisey, required engineering teams, and it made it really hard to sort of get in the door. At the same time, one of the things that was sort of happening probably six, seven years ago was, you know, companies like Shopify and BigCommerce and the like were were making it much easier for anybody to sell online. I saw a lot of growth there. And the thing that I really thought needed to be sort of solved is uh, the ability for brands to just sort of click a button and get going quickly. That was, I think, one of the major pieces that was missing. So 
had a developer mindset, but really there's a deep understanding of some specific pain points that needed to be addressed. I think that's really consistent among a lot of the startup founders is that there's something not being handled in an optimal way. So here we had big implementations like takes too long, too complicated, so hard to get going. My intention wasn't to build a developer product. It was for brands to have a new channel for their own marketing. I just wanted to use my own engineering skill set to figure out a way to remove that from them, which I found interesting personally. But again, I, I wanted to build a product that marketing teams could use. Awesome. Let's turn to the early days of the company and this key decision. And we've addressed this a few times on the podcast, the bootstrapping versus VC funding. I'd love to hear for our listeners what it means to you as a CEO in terms of your ability to make the firm into the thing you want it to be. So the control points and the culture and how you made this choice, because it was an intentional one. Yeah. I I mean, it, it wasn't intentional from the day one. It was something that I wrestled with a lot. The challenge in bootstrapping is that you have to go slower. You have to hire people slower and you have to be more mindful of, of spend. But I think, in my opinion, I think the perks are much bigger. You know, it, it allowed us to rule our own destiny and kind of be mindful about what the important metric KPIs are and metrics for our business and which we're not. And luckily, you know, it worked out for us. Uh, My intention was always to build an amazing product. And I thought revenue would come eventually anyhow. My thinking was if we were going to focus on the product, move slowly, make the right decisions, learn, bootstrapping was, was the right course. I guess there's a couple of questions I have on that, which is you had to have some funding to start. So it'd be interesting to know kind of where the initial capital came from to build. And then what's it like trying to sell a product when you're not venture-fueled? Those early customer gains, is there some learning there for other CEOs or want-to-be CEOs to take the minimum viable product to market? That's really what we're talking about here. Yeah, I mean, in hindsight, I think what made our business work is that use the skills that we had and double down on those. I actually didn't have that much funding. When I started Refersion, I was actually working on it during my nights. I slept four or five hours a day for a period of six months. Uh, I don't necessarily recommend that, but that's how I got around it. I was able to live, probably not in the best way, but that's how I built my business. Technically, I believe I started it with $500. I really just kept on grinding until I figured out how I can pay my rent which you know wasn't too much money for me at that time. Luckily, I was single, so that also helped. I didn't have children or anything. So I really you know, grinded until I minimized my risk, until I was comfortable with that risk. And for myself, I looked at what my worst case scenario is, that it won't work, and then I'll just go back to work and perhaps even better off because I've learned things about business that I did not have a chance to learn prior. That's really an awesome story. I mean, the idea that your moonlighting became your business and that you were able to follow that through. You know, I managed a rock band by night and worked for IBM by day in my early career. So I know the burning the candle at both ends. That's not easy. You would do the same thing all over again. I mean, it sounds like you were having fun. I, I was enjoying building a product. Sounds like you were enjoying the rock and roll lifestyle. It was awesome. I think there's some real truisms in something you said, though. I learned a lot about the real world of business, you know, to sell something, to productize something that was loosely formed. 
you know, some 20 something kids that knew how to play their instruments, but didn't have a product yet. Over the course of a few years, it became a business. So it sounds like there's a theme here. What, what was it like getting those first few customers? I mean, what is there uh, any learnings as you look back on that, that might be worth sharing with folks? Like, how did you get the first few to say, yeah, I'll give it a run? I don't know if this is terminology still like followed or reused. I did the lean startup approach. And by that, I mean, I actually figured out a way to test the need for this product before having it. So what I actually did is I set up a landing page with just a one-page website with a form for emails. So it just went to like a MailChimp list. And based on my small market research, I, I realized that customers needed I think it was like four or five main features, like commission payments, tracking, integration, for example. And I put up that page with those four or five bullet points of what we did. And I just went on a couple of forums and I asked people to put in their email if they want something like this. I think within a couple of days, I had over 200 registrations. So that was sort of my first like light bulb moment where I realized this can work. I don't know if I'm necessarily the one to solve it, but there's a need. So I felt like I should try to see if I could be that person. And it was, I think, the first time I felt that way where, you know, I've made small projects and just tinkered on other small ideas in the past, but this was the most glaring moment I had as far as uh, that I had a chance of success. You used the tools of the digital marketer to do your own research and sort of give you some confidence that you were thinking the right way. That's kind of what I hear from this. I don't think I've thought of it that way, but I suppose so. Yeah, I, I just built a landing page, optimized it, and saw who it resonated with. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. You know, a lot of times the training and the instincts we have get deployed, and then we look back and it's like, oh, yeah, that's part of a larger frame of reference I already had. It's kind of how I see that story. Kind of, You, know, you already were a digital marketer, right? So now yeah. you're just using those tools to figure out what might resonate with your potential clients. Are there other teachable moments from the early days in your bootstrap life? I think, you know, if we're talking about a bootstrap versus VC, you know, I think one of the things I realized is that I wasn't good at raising money. I wasn't the raising money type of person. It requires a certain skill set, I think. It requires you to concentrate on your investor story 24-7 while I was concentrating on my product feature set 24-7. If there was a learning, I would say, if you're a sole founder, which I was at that time, not, not anymore, but from my perspective, I think, look, you either build your product or you raise money, choose one. So again, I, I've said this before, both paths are good, but I realized that each of those things is the full-time job and you can certainly do both, but it's very hard to do them as a sole founder. The raising money and then serving that boss, right, is a very different path. When we did our call before the podcast, you were talking about the decisions, like time kind of telescopes a little bit, like your decisions have to be made longer term and some things you have to put off like hiring. You know, is there uh, some insight you want to share about how you decided to make those initial hires and when you knew you were ready? Hiring early on was terrifying as a bootstrap company. I'll always admit to that. You know, when you're bootstrapped, you're looking at your bank balance probably more than I should have to make sure that we have money in, that we can invest every dollar counts. And hiring is, is expensive, especially if you want to hire more senior people. So it was, it was terrifying. But I remember my first hire, it was actually in the 
uh, customer success side of the house. And my thought there was that I just found myself spending a lot of time on support when I needed to spend more time on figuring how do I make the product easier to use. And I thought that if I don't sort of invest in that, I could potentially die under my own weight. So I just had to bite that bullet and go with it. But secondly, I would also say that hiring is, is, is very hard to find the right person. It takes a few go-arounds. And, and as you grow, the people that you need for every stage of your business changes. So customer success was an early focus on hiring. We actually have another bootstrapped firm called Lemlist. It's a sales enablement platform based in uh, France. And the CEO talked about his job almost entirely has been customer success. Do you think that's an important part of what got you to where you are today, that focus on the customer? I think so. What I tell customers is even to this day, the thing that differentiates our company to competitors, one of those things is the fact that we invest in our customer support team, that our customers, when they call us, you know, chances are someone that they know by name picks up. I always wanted to make sure that our support team and account management team become friends with our customers that there's someone that they can rely on. And even if we don't have a feature that maybe our competitor has, they feel comfortable with our product because they know the people working within our company. Yeah, I think that focus on the customer, especially if it's your first go in a SaaS firm, it's not always obvious that the focus on the customer is maybe as or more important than the focus on features and benefits, right? You need a core feature set so people can use the product, but they have to have a good experience with you or they won't last. And under-investing there is a real critical mistake. Hey, let's talk about how you've scaled up the business. It's a relatively small company even today, but growing really well. And you found a channel to market that maybe wasn't being exploited by your competition as well. And as you alluded to it early on in terms of the ecosystem you were plugging into, but I'm wondering if you can kind of talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I, uh, one of the things that we did early on is we made it very easy to integrate into platforms and not only platforms, but we also kept an eye on how people are finding us and what their actual like integration is beyond reversion. More specifically, one example or one learning that we've saw is where a traditional SaaS business, the obvious sort of customer acquisition flow is someone goes to their website, signs up, puts in the credit card, and then they have a monthly fee charged. Another side of our business uh, that we've slowly built out is how we work with partners like agencies. We've noticed that sometimes merchants will actually engage with an agency, people who build their website or people who integrate their systems to craft their e-commerce experience. And companies like us, uh, platforms and other partners will often actually be brought in by the agency. The actual merchant doesn't go looking for us all the time. They may actually engage with an agency so that they can sort of tell them who's best to solve their need. So we spent a lot of time, and especially earlier on, wanted to make sure that we create the right materials, can teach agencies about our offering so that when their customers ask for it, that we're able to be the solution provider. You know, our job is to make the agency look good so that they can provide added value to their customers through our service. And we just want to make sure that we also provide support for, for the people who actually do the work and technology build-outs. So there's an amplification effect. You're not just doing your own sales. You're not like trying to do the SDR phone and email outreach, but you have 
partners who are driving business results for their clients and incorporating you in their solutions. That's kind of the, the agency model. And you also mentioned that you're connected with things like Shopify. I assume there's some overlap there, right? There are Shopify implementation agencies. That's a whole ecosystem of its own. Yep. So uh, in fact, I think that's where I met one of your colleagues was at a uh, Shopify event. That's actually how we met uh, your firm a couple of years ago. But is that integration with platforms like Shopify kind of allowed you not to have that traditional go-to-market? It's sort of like the venture-fueled go-to-market is SDRs and AEs and a lot of outbound pressure. And here what we have is we built something that we were pretty confident was fit for purpose. Now we're looking for partners to help us get in front of opportunity. How important was the software ecosystem to that versus the, the people ecosystem? We were, I think, one of the first apps in the Shopify app store. I can't thank them enough. Shopify and, and others, they invest heavily in, in their partner ecosystem. And you know, one of the things that we've spent a lot of time on is making sure that we plug in the right way and make it really easy for our merchants to connect with us, with our system. You know, we have a partnerships team and we have a customer success team. And, you know, we often will connect if a customer calls us and says, I need help with integrating this, but I'm not technical. We'll loop in a partnerships person and, and connect them to an agency that, that we think can help them. So we, we just want to be the sort of connection point because we know that we'll create value, but it has to be at the right time and it has to be with the right team in place. Really interesting. You benefit by helping folks, even if it's going to take some time for that benefit to come. I don't think we're always necessarily the the best solution if a merchant's like you're starting out, you know, today. We want to plug in when there's the right plan in place, the the right marketing. That ideally the merchants have researched the the right influencers for themselves, and I think that's when we'll provide the most value. So I want to shift gears with you to kind of where we are today, which is you recently actually sold the business or much of the business. That total change in direction, I think it'd be interesting to just kind of unpack a bit how you decided it was time and who you looked for as a partner in that process. Like, What was the decision process like? Well, I wouldn't say it's a complete shift, to be honest. And secondly, we weren't out in the market asking people to buy us. I knew that there's all companies grow up and they go through stages and there will be some sort of, I think, event that we would need for us to grow faster because we're at that point where I think the market was and is changing very quickly and we want to be able to be ready for that. You know, we're still a small company, but we're thinking at, at the end of this year, we'll be about 70 people. So we can't always be as nimble as we once were, which is, you know, a couple people in, in a room. So we needed to align ourselves with the right people. And it just happens to be Assembly, which is the company that we're part of now. And the reason why I said it's not a complete shift is because I think we have now like the best of both worlds where we can run the business in, in the way that we have been, but it's with unlike steroids. If we need to find a key hire or a key executive, we can loop in the assembly team and, and they'll connect us with you know amazing recruiters or contractors if if that made sense. And things are just solved faster. And we were in a weird place before where we're, you know, we're big enough that we had to create processes and mature, uh, but we weren't small enough where we again could like maneuver quickly enough. 
uh, without having some sort of debt or tech debt in, in place. So assembly, I think, gives us the, the right awesome team. And also, there's other companies in assembly, which I'm really excited to work with. And we're able to create a one plus one equals three, where you know we can present our customers if and when it makes sense with other offerings in the assembly family that might be helpful for them, that we can actually get insight faster through other learnings that our cousin companies have. So it's a really exciting time. And, and I'm glad we, we chose the company that allows us to be refersion, allows us to be us, but make sure that we do not lose in, in the changing space that, that's happening. Everybody's money is green, but not everybody's money is good. There are investors who are good partners and are additive to the business. And then there are those that just present difficulty really in the end. How did you figure out who these folks were? How did you discern they were the right partner? Well, part of it is a leap of faith. We were lucky and we had conversations with several people. There were companies that I thought were just smart people and nice people, but they just didn't align with our culture. They didn't allow for our culture, which I thought was a bit of a red flag, not a bit, but definitely a red flag. Our culture has always been sort of tinkers and builders and curious people. And I thought if that did not persist, that the company would be something else. And I don't think that our employees would appreciate that because my number one goal is to make sure that refersion exists way into the future. And then our employees are happy and that they, they love working and they feel something for the company in a positive way. So, I, and I thought our culture was was what would do it. So far, I've been right. That's terrific. Can you give us a little insight into what's next for Refersion? You have greater resources. What does that mean for the near-term future? Well, when we were acquired, I think we were 20 people. Uh, end of this year, we're hoping to be 70. So we're times threeing maybe a little less. So I think right now, a lot of my focus is on hiring. Uh, we align ourselves with, with the right team members. We're also investing in other sides of our business that we could not have before. For example, partnerships, which I talked about before. You know, We just hired a couple of people for that team and we'll continue to hire. We're also working on a couple of key projects that I'm really excited for. One is actually in the payment side. So we'll help facilitate payments for influencers one way or another. So I'm really excited about that. So, you know, I don't want to say too much just because we're still work in progress, but I think that'll be really interesting. And another thing we're thinking about is how we become a more remote company. Uh, we have right now two offices, uh, one in New York City and one in Miami, Florida, but now we're hiring more remote people in the changing state of the world is how we engage with people who are not sitting next to us. That's an exciting time and a, kind of a new world also, right? Trying to figure things out about making a remote organization still reflect our culture and motivating and managing people remote, very different kind of world than when we're all in one place. Well, I really appreciate it. I think we uh, did really well here. How can uh, people learn more about Refersion if they want to check up on the company? Uh, what should they be doing? Just Refersion.com, an easy way to remember is it's referral and conversion. Uh, you can also email me. It's alex at refersion.com. If, if I can help in any way, I'm happy to do it. That's awesome. Thank you. So our guest has been Alex Markov, CEO and founder of Refersion. And folks want to reach me. I'm on LinkedIn at linkedin slash in slash Ken Lempit. 
and I'm at kl at austinlawrence.com. And uh, I'm going to be checking out that agency partner program. Just might come in handy for one or two of my clients. So we might be talking again soon. Happy to help. I appreciate the opportunity to to do this and hopefully I've uh, provided some ideas for the listeners. Excellent. I thought it was a great episode and look forward to posting it soon. Thanks everyone for listening and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to the SaaS Backwards Podcast brought to you by Austin Lawrence Group. We're a growth marketing agency that helps SaaS firms reduce churn, accelerate sales, and generate demand. Learn more about us at www.austinlawrence.com. You can email Ken Lempett at kl at austinlawrence.com about any SaaS marketing or customer retention subject. We hope you'll subscribe, and thanks again for listening.